0: We're going to walk back into the pages of Genesis, uh, picking up where we left off about 10 weeks ago with Genesis chapter 12. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 12. And as you're turning there, I want to pause now and ask the Lord's help. Father... Your Son, Jesus, is all we need. He's all we need for forgiveness. He's all we need for life. He's all we need for hope, for eternal life. He is what we need as an example of what it looks like to walk with you. He is what this world needs as He is coming to right all that is so wrong around us. Thank You that You've given us what we need, who we need. I pray now that as we open Your Word to the Old Testament, that You would help us see again from the book of Genesis, Jesus. I ask it in His name. Amen. Genesis 12. Verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and AI on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, Pharaoh's official officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. When we originally came to the book of Genesis, we noted to ourselves that in this first book of the Bible, uh, we might rightly give the title, The Book of Beginnings. That's what Genesis is. It is the book of beginnings. And in the opening 11 chapters, we witness the beginning of God's creation. We Witness the beginning of the human race. And in some of the uglier pages in the Bible, we witness the beginning of human sin. And so we need to realize that almost all of the waters that we swim in on a daily basis have their origins in Genesis 11. On a daily basis, we see other humans created in Genesis 1 through 11, the beginning of the race anyway. All around us we see creation, which has its origins in Genesis 1 through 11. And every day we deal with sin, our own and the sin of others, which has its origins in Genesis 1 through 11. It's a book of beginnings and everything that we now experience, most of what we now experience, has its fountain here. In fact, the Greek title for this book is where we get our English title. It's from the Greek word genesis, which we say as Genesis and the word means beginning. So as we take a look now at chapter 12, we find that it, too, is a new beginning. We continue with this theme of beginnings, because in this chapter, we find the earliest shoots in the Jewish family tree through the family of Abraham. And because we find the earliest shoots in the Jewish family tree, we also find God's initial blueprints for his great plan of salvation. Because as Jesus reminded us, salvation is from the Jews. Salvation came out of the Jews. And so here, as God begins the Jewish nation through Abraham, God begins to work out his plan to save not only the Jews, but the whole world through them. So when we read about Abram's calling this morning, we're not just reading an interesting bit of history. We're actually tracing a storyline that has implications for us and for the human race down to this very day. And the gospel truths that we sung about so wonderfully this morning have their earliest foundations in the story of Abram. The old, old story of Jesus and his love actually begins in Genesis 12, verse 1, with God's commandment to Abraham or Abram. And that's our first heading this morning. There are going to be four of them if you're taking notes. The first one is God's commandment. In verse 1, it had been more than 300 years since Noah's flood. It's a long time. And Noah's flood was the last recorded instance of God speaking to mankind. It's a long time to go without hearing a word from the Lord, isn't it? 300 plus years. So maybe even some of God's faithful people had begun to wonder if God had forgotten them. Begun to wonder if God had withdrawn from his active participation in the life of planet Earth. And if they had begun to wonder it, verse one was a wonderful thing, because in verse one, the Lord said to Abram. The Lord speaks again. And I would just say to you, before we really dive into the story of Abram, that this is an initial word of hope for those of you who feel that you're in the midst of a similar silent period. Maybe your circumstances make it seem like God has withdrawn His presence from your life. Or maybe it's simply that your Bible reading has become dry or even non existence Maybe you've lost the joy that you had when you first believed. And you've begun to wonder... If God has forgotten you or worse, if God has just laid you aside and has finished with you. And if that's your plight this morning, Genesis 12 has a word of hope for you. And the word is God never forgets his people. He may spend long periods of silence as he does between chapters uh, nine and twelve. But God never, ever forgets his people. He is there and he has not forgotten you. And the time is coming when He will speak to you again. And He will have something important to say. And that's what we find in verse 1 with Abram. After a long silence, God has something very important to say to Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. That's a tall order, isn't it? Someone came to you today and said this exact sentence, it would be hard to do. Here's what God is saying, my paraphrase. Abram, I want you to pick up all your stuff, and I want you to pack it up, and I want you to leave. I want you to leave behind your homeland with all the culture that you've grown accustomed to, with the language that you know. Leave that behind, Abram. And I want you also, Abram, to leave all of your family. Take your wife, take Lot with you, but you're going to leave the rest of the family that you have grown up around in your father's house. And make sure, Abram, that you gather all of your possessions because you won't ever see this house that your father built for you again. You're going to a new place. When you leave all these things, Abram, and I want you to come and follow me. And by the way, you won't know where we're going until we get there. That's a tall task, isn't it? It's a difficult commandment from the Lord, but a commandment nonetheless. Because it came from the Lord, who is the creator of the ends of the earth, we might ask ourselves, what could Abram do but obey? If God said it, what could Abram do? It's a good question, but you know, if Abram was like a lot of us, he could have thought of all sorts of excuses and arguments for why he really shouldn't go. I could think of a lot for him. I could think of a lot more if it was me that was given this command. That's the way we work. Surely the Lord doesn't want me to do that. I must have misheard what he said. God wouldn't ask me to leave everything behind and go to a place I've never known, to a language and a culture that I don't understand. Surely I can obey God just fine right here in Comfortable Ur, which is the name of the city that Abram grew up in. That's what I would have thought if I were in Abram's shoes. I wonder this morning as we observe God's command if any of us have reasoned with ourselves like that in recent weeks. God has spoken clearly to us about this issue or that. But whatever he has said to us seems very impractical on the surface of things. Seems frankly as though God is asking us to do more than we can do and to give more than we can give. And so what we've done instead of obeying is we've tweaked his commandments or we've ignored his directions and we've done what felt practical and easy rather than what we know is right. Maybe one of the reasons why we've done that, if we have, is because we never let God finish his sentence. God gives us a difficult task. And before he can even finish his sentence, we begin to come up with our counteroffer. That's a big problem because then we don't hear what else God might have to say to us in the next sentence. Maybe if some of us had listened to what God said to us. All the way through to the end, we would have realized that God's commandment for us very likely came with a covenant promise to do us good if we would trust him and if we would obey. And that's what happened for verse in verses two and three for Abram. God's very difficult commandment came with a covenant, a promise. So we had God's commandment in verse one. Now we have God's covenant in verses two and three. And beginning in verse two, we find that attached to God's difficult command was a wonderful promise, a wonderful covenant made with Abraham, should he trust and obey. And here it is in verse two. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. That's a great promise, isn't it? It's a good thing. Abram let God finish his sentence he hadn't, he would have never obeyed because you see obedience to God always arises out of trust in God. If you're going to do what God says, you must believe what God says. You must believe that he wants what is good for you or you will never obey. That was the case with Abram. He learned in verse two that God wanted what was best for him, even though he was asking him to do something that at the first didn't seem like the best. In this case, God told Abraham all the good that he would do for him in response to Abram's trust, namely a great name, a great nation to come out of his family, and he promised him a great blessing. And as you read on in the book of Genesis, you find that God fulfilled these promises. So it was that in the strength of God's promises to Abram that Abram was able to leave behind all that he had ever known, to leave behind his father's house and to go to a strange place with no prospects of success except that God had promised to bless him. That's the key to obedience. You may have no prospects of success except God's covenant promises to his people. And if you have those, then you can obey. Sometimes God doesn't give us specific promises like He gave Abram, does He? Sometimes He asks you to do something in His Word or by His Spirit, and He doesn't say, if you do this, everything is going to be happy ever after. Sometimes all we have to go on are verses like Romans eight twenty eight, that says, God works all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purposes. That's a blanket promise for everything. And that's enough, isn't it? If we have that, then we can go forward with anything God asks us to do. God's promise for those who love him, which Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So God's promise for those who love him, who keep his commandments, is that their best interest will always be the final result. That doesn't always happen right away. You look at your map and find that Abram's trip all the way down to Egypt was roughly 600 miles. That's a long trip on foot. God's blessings probably didn't seem to be happening right away for Abraham, for Abram. But the end result was that for all who trust and obey, God does them good. And before we move ahead, I want you to notice uh, the most important and the most long term piece of God's covenant. God's promise to Abram, and it's this in verse three, I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, what did God mean when he said, in you, Abram, in your little bitty individual life, out of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed? What did he mean? Well, Abram couldn't have understood this fully. But as the rest of the Old Testament unfolds, what we discover is that through the Jews, through Abram's family, God was going to send into the world the Savior. Who would, Isaiah 52, 15, sprinkle many nations by his blood. Through Abram, God was going to send a Jewish Savior who would save not only Jews, but people from every tribe on the earth. We learn that even in the Old Testament. And when we turn to the New Testament, we find that it's through Jesus, this descendant of Abram, that people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation are going to come to be God's children. God specifically fulfilled his promise to Abram. What we're doing today together as we gather in Jesus' name is a link in a long chain of events that began with God's promise to Abram. There are people here today who are born in the United States, Japan, Nigeria, Korea, Uganda, and maybe some others that I'm overlooking right now. That's a pretty amazing fulfillment right in this room of the promise that God made to Abram in you through your family. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessed. The reason that's so amazing is because we've just come out of the muddy waters of human sin that necessitated the flood. Humanity was so bad that God had to destroy all of them except for Noah and his family. And not only that, we've just come out of the confusion of human pride that characterized the Tower of Babel, where God scattered the people all over the earth so that there were nations to begin with. And out of all that rebellion, out of all of that sin, God still had a plan to save people like that. God still had a plan for the scattered families of the earth in spite of their sin and in spite of ours. What a place for Jesus to show up. Right here in Genesis 12, among Sarai's boxes and Abraham's moving van, we find Jesus showing his face and saying, here I am. All the law and the prophets really do speak of me. So we have God's commandment. We have God's covenant with Abraham, Abram. And we have Abram's commitment in the next six verses, verses four through nine. Let's get really hands on by asking, how did Abram respond to God's command and God's covenant? What did Abram do? And you already know the answer from verses four through six. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife and Lot, his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. There's Abram's commitment. Abram simply did as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't give God a counteroffer. He didn't alter the plans at all. He just got up from the place where he was sitting, began to pack his bags and left as the Lord had spoken to him. In this regard, Abram is the quintessential example for us of what it means to trust the Lord, what it means to walk with the Lord. The New Testament writers are constantly using Abram as an example of faith because it was the Lord who spoke. And because Abram had faith in the Lord who spoke, he obeyed completely. The question is this morning, what about us? What about us? Are you obeying the Lord completely this morning or are there clear commandments of God that are left undone in your life or undone in your family or undone in your workplace? Could you be pointed to as an example of trust that leads to obedience? If not, then the question is, what's the source of the difficulty? What's holding you back from doing as the Lord has spoken? Is it that you've yet to call him Lord? You've yet to come to terms with the fact that it is he who made us and not we ourselves. Psalm 100 verse three. Or maybe it's that you're dragging your feet in obedience to the Lord because you're not quite sure that you really believe that if you do this, God will really make it good. I think that's probably the problem for many of us. We want to do what God says somewhere in our hearts, but we don't quite believe that if we go all out and do what God really says, that everything will work out for us in the end. Whichever it is, all disobedience boils down to one of these two things. Either the problem is that he is not Lord, and therefore you do not care what God says, or the problem is that you do not believe What God says anytime we disobey one of those two, sometimes both is the problem. So let me ask you to think about that before we go on. Maybe the problem for you is in an area of disobedience in a relationship or a financial commitment. Perhaps it's giving up an addiction or maybe it's just simply setting aside the time that, you know, God has called you to set aside to read your Bible and pray each day. But just take a second and think, where does my conscience prick me this morning? Where do I know that I'm not doing what God is calling me to do? In those areas of your life, ask yourself, is the problem lordship or is it faith? Is it that I really do not want to do what God says because I like my way better? Or is it that I would like to do what God says, but I really don't know if I trust God to work it all out? And it seems like maybe things will be a little smoother if I just keep doing what I'm doing. As you ponder those thoughts, as you ponder how this example of Abram specifically touches your individual life, I want you to consider the example that he continues to give in verses 7 through 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, another promise, So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward Negev. You see what's happening here in these verses? Just like it will for you, God's grace has brought Abram safe thus far. And Abram is calling on the Lord to ask that grace will lead him home. Here he is pausing to offer sacrifices both in gratitude for God's past faithfulness and as a symbol of his dependence on God for future faithfulness to His promises. And it's significant in verse 8 that Abram called on the name of the Lord. Here's a guy who traveled 600 miles by foot carried his whole family, moved to a new place. And we might think to ourselves, Abram must have been really rugged. He must have been one of those strong kind of pioneer types who has the world by its tail and who's not afraid of anything. Otherwise, how could he have gone to a strange land where they might have killed him? That's not the picture we have here at all. We have a picture of a man who in the quiet, private places of his life is on his knees pleading with the Lord for help. Calling on the name of the Lord. Abraham wasn't a rugged pioneer. Abraham wasn't a self-sufficient American who thought he had it all together. Abram was a man who realized how desperately he needed God's help. And so he was on his knees praying. In a strange place where the people followed strange customs and spoke a strange language and might have endangered his life. If Abram was at all like I am, he probably was not a little bit frightened as he made this trip. Just think to yourself, would you be frightened if you had to make a trip like that? I would be. How am I going to provide for my family? How are the local people going to respond to me? Are they going to kill me? What are they going to do with my wife? All these questions must have been going through Abram's mind. That's why he's such an example for us of faith. His faith isn't characterized by innate, rugged strength. Faith is characterized by weakness that admits I can do nothing apart from you, Lord. Faith is relying on God to do what we ourselves know we are incapable of doing. Faith is saying I'm inadequate. I cannot do it. And therefore, God, I trust you to do what I could never do. So in that sense, faith, though it blossoms out of weakness, is very, very strong. The question this morning again for you is, have you been feeling weak lately? Some of you probably have. Some of you have probably been feeling just this week like life seems like a tangled up ball of uncertainties. And you don't know what's going to happen next. And you're frankly afraid of what might happen next. And you need to learn from the example of Abram. You need to learn that it's okay to admit that you're inadequate. It's okay to admit, I can't do this. And you need to learn from Abram and call upon the name of the Lord. That was Abram's commitment. But finally and sadly, let's look at, in verses 10 through 20, Abram's compromise. As we move towards a conclusion this morning, we need to remind ourselves that sometimes weakness shows itself in dependence upon God. And other times, human weakness shows itself in great moral and spiritual failure. And that's what we have in the last 11 verses of this chapter. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you're my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on your account. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Look at Abram now. What a pitiful sight he is, pleading with his wife to sell her body so that, quote, it may go well with me. This is a far cry, isn't it, from God's mandate in Ephesians 5 that husbands love their wives and lay down their wives for her. He's asking her to lay down her life for him. It's also a far cry from the Abram we saw in verses 1 through 9. Abram is a wretch in these verses. What a trade he made. Pharaoh, I'll give you my wife in exchange. I'll get back from you sheep and oxen and donkeys in verse 16. That make you feel, women, if your husband traded you in like that. That's how Pharaoh... That's how Abram did it. It was an ugly scene. The question is what happened to Abram between verses 1 through 9 and verses 10 through 20? Well, what happened was Abram momentarily stopped believing what God had promised him in verse 3. In verse 3, God had said, I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse. That included Pharaoh. Abram forgot. That if Pharaoh had tried to harm him or take his wife, God would have cursed Pharaoh. He stopped believing that. And therefore, he stopped obeying God. And apparently, he also forgot to continue to call upon the name of the Lord. When he arrived in Canaan, we find him building an altar and calling upon the name of the Lord. But when he arrives in Egypt, we don't find him building an altar. We find him devising a plan. You see the difference? Verses 7 and 8, I'm going to call out to God. Verses 10, 11, and 12, I need a plan here because I'm in trouble. For a a brief moment of his life, Abram stopped trusting God. There's a lesson in this for all of us because as we said earlier, our obedience to God always arises out of our trust in God. And the moment that we stop trusting God, and start devising plans, we're in big trouble. The moment we put our plans ahead of God's promises, that's called pride. And pride always goes before a fall. And that's what happened with Abram. He failed miserably. But, as a testament to God's unfaltering grace, God, even after this failure, continued to do him good in verses 17 through 20. God covered Abram's sin. God protected Abram's life and he protected his wife. Reminds me of Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.13. That says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Genesis 12 translation, if we really blow it like Abram did, God's not going to go back on the covenant promises he's made. That's the kind of God we serve. That's good news for someone like me who seems to stumble through verses 10 through 20 just about as frequently as I'm sprinting through verses 1 through 9. You and I are just like Abram. Let me ask you this Did God know Abram was going to act like this? Or did he just have to shift into plan B when Abram lost his way? Did God know Abram was going to do this? The answer is, of course. God knew Abram was going to do this. God always knows the end before the beginning. God knew that Abram was going to falter. He knew that Abram was going to shame his name before Pharaoh. And he knew that Abram was going to do the same thing again in chapter 20, where again he passes off his wife as his sister to protect his own hide. God knew this about Abram and he also knew what we don't know yet, which is later in the story in Joshua 24, we find out that Abram's whole family, this man that God called, they were idol worshippers. God knew what kind of person Abram was when he first called him. God found Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram was no spiritual giant. You imagine what Abram's friends might have said If he had reported to them what God had promised him in verses 1 through 3. If he had come to his friends and said, God's going to make a great nation out of me. God's going to make me a great name and God's going to bless me. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed in me. His friends might have said to him, Abram, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Come on. Stop kidding yourself, Abram. Why would God pick you? Look at you. You don't love your wife. You worship idols. Why would the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, pick you? It's a good question. It's a question that we all might ponder about ourselves. Because all of us know who we are. All of us know where we've been and what we've done and the kinds of things that we've thought. And So when we allow those memories to come across the movie screen of our lives, some of them as recent as this morning, we might well ask ourselves the same question. Why would God pick me? I don't deserve this. The answer for us is the same as it was for Abram. Grace. God is a God of infinite grace. God chooses to save us and to bless us and to use us for his purposes solely based upon his grace. It doesn't mean that God just blindly overlooks our sins and says it's just fine. That would be just as unjust as a United States judge letting a convicted criminal go free. God's not unjust when he shows us grace, not in the least. Sin must be punished. And yet, though sin must be punished, we find ourselves, all of us, being treated far better than we deserve. And the reason is because our sins have been paid in full by another. By the one who said in John 8, before Abram was, I am. See, for Abram and for us, God's grace is bound up in the sacrifice of Jesus The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb whose life was as good as taken from him before Abram ever breathed. Abram depended upon grace through the sacrifice of the Savior. He didn't know his name, but he depended on grace through that sacrifice. And we depend on grace through that sacrifice in the same way. Abram knew that God was going to provide for him a Savior. And that is why he called on the name of the Lord. The final question for you today is Have you come to see your need for a Savior? Do you see in Jesus the answer to all of your needs? Have you come to call upon the name of the Lord? And if you have not, would you not? Because the New Testament tells us whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved.